the vicar here, and uh, it's lovely to try and guide you through this passage for a few moments. Uh, one of the godparents, Richard, has uh, come from Brazil, is, is that right? And it's a big event happening in Brazil this summer, isn't there? I've got, they're gearing up for it in a, in a, in a big way, <laughs> if it happens. <laughs> so the Olympic Games, heading to Brazil. I remember being in Beijing just before the Olympics there. They were planting trees all over the place, trying to teach the taxi drivers how to, how to uh, speak to all the tourists coming in and uh, trying to make it into a green city, one of the most polluted places in the universe, um, trying to make it green. Uh, everything gears up, doesn't it, for an Olympic Games. And imagine that you are, um, this might be a stretch of an imagination, but imagine you're on one of the Olympic teams, maybe the hockey team or the football team or a relay race. And you're in there and you're in the finals and suddenly you just decide, fed up of this one, don't like my teammates, uh, giving up on them. And you just sit down and a stage is sort of a silent sulk squat. Uh, what, what happens to your team? gets pretty decimated, doesn't it? And uh, you become a meme on uh, YouTube and Vimeo came around. You're, you're, you're projected around the world uh, and you've missed out on a great opportunity. Your team's missed out on a great opportunity. It, this passage asks us, what is the big purpose for life? What, what, what do we get out of life? And one of the things it says to us is actually, if you're not in the game, not only are you not in the game, but the other people around you aren't in the game properly either. You've, you, you've reduced people's chance uh, to have an impact on life. When we look at an infant, we see so much potential, don't we? Uh, sometimes it's, it's hard, actually. You think, crikey, I wish I could start again. <laughs> what would I make choice-wise if I was beginning from the beginning? Or sometimes you think, I wouldn't want to go through life again, actually. I'm, I'm, I'll leave it to them. It's, it's a hard thing. But there you see all that potential in one lovely, beautiful young girl. And you think, well, what, what should I make of my life? This passage suggests that um, if you've asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, as the godparents just did for, for Eloise, if you ask Jesus to be in charge of your life, there are three things that come along and, and give you help. Uh, one is gifts that come from the Holy Spirit. Uh, the second is a sort of a, a ability to serve that comes from Jesus, the great servant. And the last one is the works of God the Father. Um, and all of these things, the gifts of the Spirit, the serving of Christ, and the works of the Father come together and help the, the common good. It's all for, it's all for everyone. Um, is our life just about me and me getting the most out of life? My personal happiness, my personal portfolio, my stocks, and my mortgage, my pension. Is that what our life is about? Well, that survey I mentioned over at the font suggested no. They, they tracked people over a 70-year time period. An extraordinary survey going through, interviewing people, particularly um, about 3,000 people every year were interviewed. Um, and they, they came from Boston. Half of them came from Harvard University, and half of them came from the hood, effectively. Um, one of them became a president. Um, and they, they interviewed these guys all the way through their lives. And the one thing that came out saying that made for real happiness was meaningful relationships. Meaningful relationships. Um, some of them had had huge status. Some of them had lived in great difficulty. But if they had meaningful relationships, there was, there was a happiness there. And this passage says, actually, the Christian project puts you in utterly meaningful relationships. It doesn't matter what your family situation is like. You may be miles away from any family. You may have lost all your family. You may be utterly on your own, as it were. But if you are part of Jesus' body, you're in meaningful relationships. And if you're sitting down sulking and squatting, <laughs> you hurt the whole of the rest of the family. <laughs> Do you see? 
So the Spirit gives us gifts. These are strange and wonderful things, and we're going to look at them more next week. But they're, they're miraculous abilities to see things that other people might not see. And I think, to be honest, these actually work for a lot of people a lot of the time. I don't know if you've ever had that sort of nudge. I've just got to pick up the phone. We don't really pick up the phone quite as we used to, do we? You don't, you don't do that anymore. You sort of flick out the phone. Uh, I flick out the phone and text someone or uh, WhatsApp someone or, or just chat to someone. And you just got that thing at the right time. Now, that sort of latent gift that's in everyone gets accelerated by the Holy Spirit. Uh, in, in Christian terms, we call it a prophetic gifting, where you go, i just got to reach that person at the right time. It's a gift of power, a miraculous gift that God accentuates through the Holy Spirit. Jesus brings this sort of beautiful service. I don't know if you know much about Jesus. If you've been listening to my preaching for the last few years, hopefully you know something about Jesus. Um, but Jesus was the great servant, wasn't he? When he wanted to show the full extent of his love, do you, do you know what he did? Did he change water into wine? Did he heal a blind person? Did he raise someone from the dead? Well, no, according to John 13, when he wanted to show the full extent of his love, he did the most menial task that anyone could possibly do. Everyone in that culture had dirty feet from walking around in those horrendous Jesus sandal things that got named after Jesus retrospectively. (laughs) They had dirty feet. He got down, knelt down, took off his towel and washed those smelly feet, the job that the lowest servant was supposed to do. He was a great servant. And, and God, through Jesus, enables us to serve one another. It's a wonderful thing to serve. And God the Father also gives us another type of gift, doesn't he? Um, the work of the Father, Jesus says, um, is, is a wonderful thing. People were looking at Jesus' life and they saw him doing miracles. They saw him healing people, raising the dead. Um, extraordinary thing. I don't know, as an aside, I don't know if you, you heard a survey recently that said that something like, Nearly 40% of people in the UK today um, didn't believe that Jesus existed as a historical character. Um, I mean, historically, that's, that's pretty ignorant because uh, the evidence for his life existence is greater than that of Julius Caesar. Um, uh, there's huge numbers more documents about, about Jesus from early age than, than the, of the Gallic Wars, for example. Um, so no serious historian would, would, would disagree that he exists. But when you, when you then look in on his life and see what he was doing... Amazing things, healing people, comforting people. He went up to people who had leprosy, um, which was pretty much like going up to someone with AIDS in the 80s. Do you remember the stigma of AIDS in the 80s? And going up to them and just giving them a huge hug when others wouldn't be in the same aeroplane as them. And he, he just came and gave them a hug and healed them. He was an amazing, releasing, life-giving person doing the works of God. And, and someone said to him, what, what are the works of God? <laughs> What was the work of God? What, what is the key work of God? And Jesus said this extraordinary answer. And this, I suppose, might lead you to think Jesus is crazy. <laughs> he said that the work of God for you is to believe in me, the one that he sent to you. The key work of God is believe this person he sent to you to show you the way, the truth, and the life. If you believe in me, if you trust me, you're doing the work of God. Isn't that amazing? I mean, or arrogant, or terrible. <laughs> you might want to decide. If all the people in history says, you know, forget the philosophers, forget Plato, Epicurus, Socrates, forget anyone who will come after me, the Buddhas, Muhammad, forget any of them. The work of God is to believe in, in me, a sort of peasant carpenter from Nazareth 2,000 years ago. Crazy stuff. Except 
what sort of happened when people started putting their trust in him was some extraordinary things. People began to find themselves being freer. And, and then they were putting a huge amount of faith in him. And then suddenly he, he was gone. They thought he was about to overthrow all the people around him. And suddenly he was hanging on a tree, dying. And they were like, crikey, my life's falling apart. One of his best friends who had been following him around, this guy called Peter. And, and the night that Jesus was being killed, he, I mean, he was, he was a guy who just previously said, I'm going to die with you, Jesus. Whatever happens to you, I'm going to be in there with you. He was like classic godparent material. You know, I'll be there no matter what. <laughs> I'm going to hang in there with you. The night he was, Jesus was dying, Someone said, Peter, do you know that guy on the cross? And he said, no, I've never known him. Petrified. Petrified. Something happened three days later. The tomb seemed to be empty. And no one could work out why. And then Jesus started appearing to people. 500 people in one place at one time, having breakfast with people. He allowed someone to touch his hands, which had got holes in, and his side, which had got holes in. And they just fell down saying, my Lord and my God. And then they claimed that six weeks later, a power came on them. This power of the Holy Spirit, these gifts I was talking about. And those same people who were petrified, who wouldn't even admit to knowing him, turned the name world upside down so that a quarter of the Roman emperor, empire had become Christians within 200 years, way before Constantine and all that stuff that you read about in, in rubbish novels like Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code thing, with all the mistaken history in there. They turned the world upside down. They did the same miracles that Jesus had done. They trusted in him and found that they had extraordinary hope. And when people said, you're making it up, aren't you? They said, we can't say we're making it up. And they said, well, we'll kill you if you don't admit that you're making it up. They said, well, we can't. We can't let our Jesus down again. I've already disowned him once. And that man, Peter, ended up being crucified by the Romans. But he wouldn't let himself be crucified the right way up. He he said, I'm not worthy to die the way Jesus did. (laughs) Crucify me upside down instead. The work of God for him was just to believe in Jesus. But believing in Jesus doesn't mean an intellectual agreement that he existed. Um, Any serious historian would tell you that. It doesn't mean even being able to say the creed, um, that he's Lord, um, just as in a verbatim thing. Believing in him means saying, actually, if God the creator really did come down to earth and really had something to say about my life, And really does offer a hope of eternal life after this fading world fades away with all its troubles. If that's what he offers, then I will put my trust in him. And that's what baptism really means. It means saying, I'm going to put my trust in this unseen force that guides and controls the whole universe. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. I'm going to put my trust in him. A real person who really makes a difference. So the power of the Holy Spirit... Serving people like Jesus did, like Ruth Ann does on the uh, the homeless shelter projects on a Monday night when, and Tuesday morning when she comes and serves there. And um, the work of God, all those amazing miracles, but the biggest miracle of all, our stubborn hearts saying, actually, I'm going to trust you and not myself. And when we've got those things in place, it creates an amazing family of people who know that they don't deserve to be together. <laughs> that they've been forgiven, that they're truly loved, that they're really accepted, that they're really valued. Imagine a Christmas family gathering where everyone around the table was really secure, (laughs) knew that they were significant, knew that they were accepted. 
how much less wine would we need to consume to survive the meal? (laughs) If there was real forgiveness between the generations. (laughs) If there was real love flowing. And that's what the possibility of the Christian project allows for. People together from all backgrounds, all shapes, all sizes, all ethnicities. Every every type of person, men and women together. And they're loved, accepted and valued. And living life in freedom together. That's what the whole thing's about. And that's what Jesus comes to offer us all today. May God bless his word to us. Amen.